0: Okay, if you'd like to turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Over the last number of weeks, God has been speaking quite powerfully, quite um, directly, I would say, into the life of, of the church. It's been a wonderful journey. It's been a bit sore, a bit stretching in places, but it has been wonderful. This morning, as we gather around the word, we're going to gather and look at a more devotional word this morning, as opposed to directional, I suppose. Um, So we're going to read those really well-known verses from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and will not lose heart. The author of the book of Hebrews is not known to us. We believe it to be the Apostle Paul, his fingerprints are all over it, his style is there, but um, it is not known to us exactly who wrote these words. In the same way, we're equally not really sure to whom this letter was written. Unlike the other letters in the New Testament, most of which have been written by Paul, the author of this one doesn't introduce himself in the opening verses, nor does he really address his letter as to who it is intended for. However, we can do a little bit of the Sherlock Holmes. We can get our best Miss Marple on, and we can deduce from reading through the chapters a little bit of important information, and that is that it's probably this letter has probably been written to a group of Jewish believers who have become Christians, become, have converted to Christianity, and who are probably Italians. Now, we reckon that they're Italians not because there was a smudge of Bolognese on the original manuscript, <laughs> but because there is a very helpful verse tucked away in verse 24 of chapter 13 where the author says, greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. The author sends to his readers greetings from those from Italy. In other words, it's almost like he's saying, those who lived in Italy and are now traveling freely around the Roman Empire, your friends from back home say hi. And so from that, whatever way it's written, whether the Italians are those who are traveling or whether the Italians are those that are sending their greetings, we kind of reckon that this is most likely directed to a group of Italian Christians. And what we understand about them is that they are having a really tough time. In fact, the verses that we've just read suggest that they are growing weary and losing heart. And in fact, if you read to the very end of the passage, the very end of the chapter, we also get this hint that they are beginning to feel weak and beginning to feel feeble, because he says, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. So what is going on with these believers that makes them struggle? Well, these people have been hit with what would seem like constant opposition that is beginning to wear them down and beginning to weary them. It says in Hebrews 10 and verse 32, remember those earlier days after you'd received the light. Remember those earlier days, just as you get saved, here's what happened. When you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. These guys really have been through the mill. And now they're in that place where they're beginning to get a bit weary and they're beginning to lose heart. You know that stage where having been through the mill and you come out the other side and as you reflect upon it, weariness begins to set in and the shadows come and cynicism comes And you begin to get a bit angry and a bit bitter. And you begin to feel a bit weak. I don't know if you've ever had those periods in life where one thing after another, after another, after another goes wrong. When everything that could break, breaks. When difficulty seems to pile on top of difficulty and stuff begins to happen and you just feel it shouting, stop the world. I want to go off. Ever been in those situations? No? Okay. Close the message. Just go home. Have <laughs> I been in those situations? Yeah, good. That's how these guys felt. And so the writer of Hebrews, he writes these words to them to encourage them not to lose heart and to encourage them to be strengthened in their faith and journey. These are encouraging words. They are intended to help us cling to our faith more tightly and to help us strengthen our walk. And I think that's what's behind the strengthen the feeble arms. Cling on, hold on strengthen the weary knees, keep on keeping on, keep on going. So these are really encouraging words, and these encouraging words start with the phrase, therefore. And what the word therefore does at the beginning of a sentence is it links what's about to be said with what has already been said. In other words, before you can get a grip on chapter 12, you have to understand chapter 11. So we slip back just for a moment to chapter 11, which of course is a really well-known chapter. We refer to it as the hall of faith, and it opens with the stunning words. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. And here in this verse is a definition of faith. Faith is actually all about hope. It's about having hope. It's about being absolutely certain, absolutely sure and secure in that hope, even although you cannot see it. And when we read that opening phrase, and even when we describe it that way, it can all sound a little bit cryptic. So the writer of Hebrews helps us out by giving us illustrations. He gives us examples of individuals who lived as people of faith, people whose lives illustrate what this means, people who lived with a hope in that which was unseen, people like Noah who hoped for deliverance from a flood he'd not yet seen. It says, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Noah possessed hope. He hoped for rescue and deliverance from a flood he had not yet seen. He built a boat before he'd even seen a drop of rain. He put all of his efforts and he put all of his resources into building an ark to rescue him from a storm that was nowhere on the horizon. He even began to warn people around him about an impending flood that there were zero signs of. He lived out his hope, certain about that which he had not yet seen and fully believing in the hope of salvation that God had promised to him. That by definition is faith it's been certain of what you hope for it's been sure of what you don't see and this chapter goes on and on to list person after person who lived their lives in accordance to the definition of faith people who allowed a vision of hope to grip their hearts and to direct their lives people who believed in an unseen god and believed for the impossible in impossible situations people like abraham who when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. That seems like a total contradiction. How can you go when you don't know where you're going? But it says he went even though he didn't know where he was going. How can you went when you don't know where you are went to? <laughs> it, it, went to. It, 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 it doesn't make sense but he had hope in something he'd not yet seen and he was sure and he was certain that that hope would come to pass so much so that he shaped his whole life around it. Jacob, he blessed each of his sons while leaning on his staff. He called out with certainty what he believed God would do in their lives even though he would never live to see it. He had hope in that which was unseen. And the passage goes on and on to list individuals who lived their lives of faith. They lived sure and certain of the hope that God had given them. They they allowed the vision for their lives to become consumed with the purpose of God that with natural eyes was impossible to see, but yet they lived in the assurance and the certainty that they would see it. People like Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samson, David, Samuel, people who living by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword, who's weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle routing foreign armies chapter 11 is an amazing read it lists for us these heroes of the faith people who allowed a vision of hope to dictate the direction and the journey of their lives and to set the very course of their destiny it's a great read but you think well why the big history lesson it's brilliant it's great to read but but why and he gives us this history lesson for a reason. He does so to encourage us and to strengthen us in our journey of faith. Because he says, Here are all these amazing people who allowed their faith to dictate their entire life's journey, who accomplished phenomenal things through faith. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that entangles, everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. And let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The first thing we draw our attention to this morning is this. There is a race marked out for us. There is a race marked out for each and every one of us. And the scripture writer here, he, he likens the journey of life to a race. When you think about it, it's actually a pretty good analogy. Athletes in a race put their everything into running that race. Or so I'm told, I haven't run a day in my life, right? But they put their everything into running that race. There is blood. There is sweat. There are tears. Running a race involves stamina, which is why I don't do it. Will. Determination. It involves all of your strength and all of your effort. And it's not easy. This is not a walk in the park. It's a race. It involves you putting in everything that you've got. And for what? Just to cross the finish line. From the moment the starter pistol goes off, you engage all that you are, all of your efforts, all of your focus into making the journey that you need to make into crossing the terrain that you need to cross just to get to the finish line. And that, my friends, is life. Life is a race. It's not a walk in the park. From the very get-go, We engage all that we've got to survive. All that we are is involved in this journey that is called life. It involves blood and it involves sweat and it involves tears. It involves determination and will. It involves engaging all that we've got and all that we are as we journey the journey that we need to make, crossing the terrain that we need to cross just to get to the finish line, which is the only point that the race stops. The journey of life is like a race. And here's the deal there is a race marked out for all of us. We all have a start line and we all have a finish line. And the finish line might fall in different places for different people, but there is always a start line and there's always a finish line. And God has marked out the shapes and the dimensions of the journey between those points for each and every one of us. He has a purpose for each of our lives, a purpose that is as unique as each of us are unique. And to live by faith is to seek to live according to that purpose. It's to be envisioned by hope. And it's to let that vision grip our hearts and direct our lives. It is to be sure and certain of the hope that God has given us, that he loves us, that he's called us, and that he has saved us for a purpose. He's drawn us to himself that we might journey through life in an intimate knowledge of the God who with human eyes is invisible and unseen, but through experience and relationship is visibly seen, doing impossible things in impossible ways. When we step into a relationship with him and we open our lives up to him, the invisible God becomes visibly seen in the everyday circumstances of life, directing the course of our lives, working out his plan and his purpose in our lives for his glory. To live with faith is to live with the vision of hope that God gives us. Seeing them every day at work in our lives, it is with certainty and resolve to pursue the purpose of God for our individual life journeys. And the scripture writer, he uses this history lesson outlined in chapter 11 to encourage a weary group of Christians to run the race that is marked out for them. He outlines these heroes of faith in their own individual life journeys to strengthen the readers of Hebrews, which includes us, by the way, and to encourage them to not give up, but to keep on going. And the encouragement and the strengthening is seen in the fact that he refers to them as a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And he says, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, we should persevere in the race that is marked out for us. Now, what does he mean here when he says, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses? What what does that mean? And how does that strengthen us and encourage us? Well, the analogy that he's painting here is almost of spectators in the arena surrounding the athletes and cheering them on in the race. And from this, many have tried to present this Theology of saints and heroes of the Bible watching us, watching over us, even cheering us on, helping us out in the journey. And that's not really what the writer of Hebrews is trying to suggest here. Well, it is, but really it's not. The Greek word for witness here can either mean the act of seeing something or the act of telling something. And five times in Hebrews 11, where the witnesses are mentioned in detail, the Hebrew word for witness is used and each time is used in the context of giving a testimony of something as opposed to watching something taking place. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says that the motivation and encouragement to run the race of faith is actually seen in what these cloud of witnesses tell us, what they teach us, what they testify to us. And the first thing that they tell us is that there is A race marked out for each of us. Chapter 11 contains the story of these people who were envisioned by God with his purpose and they lived out that vision through their lives and no two stories are the same. No two characters or individuals serve the same purpose. God used each of them uniquely to accomplish a unique purpose within his overall plan and his overall story. And this encourages us to know that we each have an individual and unique race to run. We might at times run side by side. We might serve alongside one another. We might help each other out at different stages and at different times, but we are all following a unique path that God has created just for us. And that's encouraging to know that we're not all just caught in this rat race that's called life. We're actually all on a unique journey to be used by God for the part that we have been uniquely created to play within his overall plan and story. God has marked out a race just for you to run and just for me to run. And if he's marked out the race, then that means that every stage in the journey that we are on, every stage has a purpose. So part of his plan It's all part of the story that he is writing in our lives and that causes hope to arise in our innermost being because if every stage is part of his plan and every stage his purpose has been outworked, then that means that he is at work in every single situation that we face. He is working in every circumstance in accordance to his plan to bring good out of that, to bring God into that. So we allow hope to envision us. We allow it to open the eyes of our hearts and we begin to look for him in every circumstance, in every situation, because he is at work. But secondly, these heroes of faith tell us that God does use human beings for his purposes. From their stories, we read of them conquering kingdoms and we read of them administering justice and, and gaining what was promised, shutting the mouth of lions, quenching the fury of flames, escaping the edge of their swords. Through their lives, God worked out his purpose, and the Bible tells us of that. And it cheers to us that God uses men and women, boys and girls, to do his work, which means he can and he will use us. The third thing that they witness to is perhaps the hugest encouragement. They witness the fact that you can actually throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And you can run the race marked out for us. The writer of Hebrews instructs us that to run the race that God has marked out for us is going to come at a cost. It's going to involve the dealing with sin. It's going to involve the stuff that we can all too easily become entangled with. It's going to involve letting go of some stuff, the stuff that holds us back and weighs us down. And this is quite a difficult thing. And actually, we often think that when we become entangled in sin and when we have issues, that they disqualify us from running the race. But actually, these so-called heroes of faith tell us that that's far from the truth. Think about it. Abraham had major control issues. He kept taking matters into his own hands. He kept trying to manufacture the purpose of God. God promised him a son. Sarah wasn't providing one quick enough, so he jumps into bed with the maid just to speed up the process a bit, just to help the creator out with a bit of the plan that God was clearly struggling with. If you remember, there was also that time when he made Siri's wife, pretend to be his sister so that people in the area wouldn't try and kill him off in order to steal his wife. He practically pimped his wife out just to save his own skin. And then you get Jacob, he is the master manipulator and deceiver. He manipulated his brother into selling his own birthright. He lied and deceived his own elderly disabled father in order to achieve for his own personal gain. And then you get Joseph. Joseph loved himself. He was full of himself with an ego the size of a house. It's one thing to believe that God is speaking to you in dreams. It's another thing to go around telling everybody, you're going to bow down to me. I'm going to be greater than you. I've had a dream. I'm wonderful. You're not. Moses had anger management issues. He couldn't control his temper. He ended up beating someone to death and he smashed God's memo. He came down the mountain with these Ten Commandments on this stone memo card and he got so raging he smashed them to bits and had to go back and say, God, could you give me another copy of the memo, please? <laughs> Rehab was a prostitute. Let's move on. Gideon, <laughs> Gideon worshipped idols and false gods before God called him out of the winepress. Samson was a sex addict and sold his own soul for the pursuit of pleasure. And David... The man after God's own heart, he had a porn problem. He looked at something he shouldn't have looked at. He saw a woman naked that was not his wife. He was aroused by what he saw. He acted on the arousal. Just because it wasn't in a magazine or on a computer screen doesn't mean it's not the same issue. And in fact, we take that a step further. He was the man of God, anointed to serve the purposes of God. She was under his authority and influence. We see a perfect example of clergy sex abuse right there in David. Each of these heroes of the faith had some sin issues or life issues that they had to deal with. And here we make light, but we don't actually joke about it. They had these major issues but God still used them for his purpose, proving that it is actually possible to throw off the stuff that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race that God has marked out. These guys stand testament to this fact. They stand testament to the fact that our sin does not define us, our mistakes do not disqualify us, and our issues do not disable us. Some of these guys, they had to deal with some pretty major stuff before they began to run with God. Some of these guys had to deal with some stuff partway through their pursuit of the purpose. The truth is that whenever it happens and whatever happens, it has to be dealt with. It has to be. God doesn't brush over stuff. He calls us to deal with it. What is holding you back? What's entangling your soul? It's the stuff that you've become tangled up in. It's not just sin that tangles us up. It's not just sin that gets us all in a muddle. It's those conversations that you have with people in your head that if you've got a chance to give them their character, this is exactly what you tell them. And you've rehearsed it loads of times, so when it comes, you're right on cue. It's the pain from the battles that you've been through that go round and round and round. It's the injustice that's been served in your life. It's the what ifs. What if I'd just said this in that moment? What if I'd just done that in that moment? It's the anger. It's the disappointment. It's the frustration. It's the cynicism. It hardens the heart as well as entangling the heart. And it slows us down. Is there stuff that you're carrying that's slowing you down, holding you back in the purpose of God for your life? Are you stuck with a particular issue? Hear this today, it's really simple. God's grace is sufficient for you. Don't let it define you, don't let it disable you, don't let it disqualify you from running the race that God has marked out for you. See the lives of the people who struggled with some pretty serious stuff and some pretty serious character defects, but whom God took across the finish line of faith and purpose. Don't let this stuff eliminate you. Throw off Everything that hinders. Give your burdens to Him, to release to Him what you are carrying. His grace is sufficient for you. His strength will be made perfect in your midst of your weakness. He who began the good work in you is faithful to complete it. He will take you across the finish line. The rate at which you get there, the rate at which you journey, the terrain that you cross will be determined by your willingness to let go and let God give it to Him. There is no condemnation in him. He wants to lift it from you and let you run. Run, forest run. The fourth thing that the heroes of faith tell us is that hardship and tough times doesn't mean that the favor and the purpose of God is absent. And this is a rhetoric, and I keep getting on my hobby horse, but... I really can't stand this Pentecostal charismatic Christianity that says we bind hard times away and, and we sow into stuff and it will disappear and we decree and declare and stuff will go. It's just nonsense. Because Hebrews 11 describes for us some pretty tough times that heroes of the faith endured. Listen to it. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. We often think, and and there is this belief, and it is prevalent in our city, that to live a difficult time is to be out of sync with the purpose of God, but it's not true. Because those that God used to accomplish His will and His purpose were on the receiving end of some really tough times, and they faced some really difficult situations. Please hear this. Hardship and difficulty does not mean that you are no longer carrying the purpose of God in your life. In fact, very often it means the complete opposite to that. We read the stories of those who faced opposition and difficulty, yet carried on to cross the finish line. It encourages us that we can too. If you're facing a difficulty right now, if you are weighed down, if you are struggling, please Don't give up. Keep on going. Keep on keeping on. Hold on to him. Because he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. Your struggle and your difficulty might seem like a mountain that cannot be moved. But if it's contrary to the purpose of God for your life, it's going to move. It's going to move. The storm that you're going, it might look like it's going to take you out, but if it's not in line with the purpose of God, it will not take you out. He will take it out and he will take you through. Hold on. Difficulty and hardship doesn't mean he's lifted his hand. Difficulty and hardship normally means you are running with a hand of God all over your life. He is with you, walking through the valley of the shadow of death find him and walk beside him and you'll be okay. The last thing, good news, the last thing that the heroes of faith tell us is that this is our time. It says in verse 39 of Hebrews 11, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us So only together with us would they be made perfect. When we read these verses, these words in a sense suggest that these men and women who have gone before are spectators in the race that we are running. Not in the sense that they're watching over us, but in the sense that actually the race that we individually run now is part of the race that they ran then because we're all part of the story of God and God writes his story through the individual journey of our lives. Each individual living by faith paints the story of God in their time and in their generation. Those listed in chapter 11 may be great heroes of the Old Testament, but they could only tell the story of God in their generation. They could only fulfill with their lives what God had ordained would be fulfilled in their lifetime. Now, now it's our turn. It's our turn to tell the story of God with our lives. And when we begin to view it that way, and in an actual fact, we become runners in the really team of God's purpose. That as we run with what God calls us to run with and we fulfill his purpose for our lives we in effect pass the baton on, we pave the way for those who will come after us and in that moment we who have ran stand on the sidelines and we watch the story of God unfold in the generation that comes after us and we pray that as our generation looks on and sees us running with his purpose, throwing off the sin and going for it not being disqualified, not being disabled, not being defined by what we've been facing, they can look and they can see that there is a purpose for their lives, there is a race that they're called to run, that God can and will use them for his purpose and his glory, that sin and life issues do not define them and do not disqualify them, the trials and tribulations and difficulties does not mean that favour has been lifted and they can look and they can see that now is their time as the generation i.e. us that have ran before them have ran with the best of our ability may our legacy teach them to run in their time and their generation and not give up. Therefore, let us run, folks, with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Right now, cast off that which is entangling you. Look into the soul. See the the things that have got you all tangled up, all tripped up. It's time to let it go and release that stuff. See the mistakes and the errors and congratulate yourself for being a human being and throw yourself into the grace of God and see how he will transform you and me more and more into his likeness. Let's set our eyes like flint and see the purpose that has been carved out for us as individuals and is carved out for us as a church. And let's run with perseverance. Run and run and run and run and when we fall, get up and keep on running and when we trip, dust ourselves down and keep on running and when we're injured, slap on the last elastoplast, seek some healing from God and keep on running. Let's keep on going. That the generation that we raise after us Can say that they're standing on the shoulders of giants not because it's a phrase that they use to honor the past, but because that which they have seen and witnessed has built such a faith in them that if we can run for glory, they can run even further. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let's run with perseverance. Child of God, it's time to persevere for him.